I think people need to be focusing more on their brain and their heart and their bones than maybe they are. And these are things that we can be doing with lifestyle well in advance. But certainly we know that starting hormone therapy, if it's appropriate for you, and it is appropriate for more people than realize. Yes. The New York, I've been referencing the New York Times Magazine article from a couple of weeks ago to everybody. I, if your readers have not availed themselves of this opportunity, they absolutely should read it. A lot of them are going to have their minds blown. Okay. Yes. We'll just leave it at that. But we know that initiating hormone therapy in an appropriate candidate within 10 years of the menopause and ideally before then, you know, during the transition is even better before yes. the age of 60 is going to decrease their risk of overall mortality. It's going to decrease the risk of osteoporosis. It's more than likely having a positive impact on their heart disease profile, as long wow. as they aren't, don't already have serious heart issues. Yes. And the dementia thing, we don't really understand yet. We don't have the proof, but I'm pretty suspicious, and most of us are, because it's pretty clear that declining estrogen is one of the driving factors, specifically in Alzheimer's risk in women. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey friends, it's Michelle Lemereau and welcome back to the Good Life Coach Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about how to navigate menopause with an amazing doctor, Dr. Suzanne Gilberg-Lenz, who's the author of Menopause Bootcamp, Optimize Your Health, Empower Yourself, and Flourish As You Age. This is a beautiful book where you're going to learn everything you absolutely need to know. And uh, Dr. Suzanne, just want to acknowledge your voice in this book. It was so vulnerable and equally strong, which is, I think, so many of us women. So I I saw myself in you and I appreciate that. I just want to say thank you. It means a lot. It means yeah, a lot. Just beautifully done. It was it's it was really um so helpful. So Dr. Suzanne received her medical degree in 1996 from the USC School of Medicine and completed her residency in obstetrics and gynecology at UCLA Cedars Sinai Medical Center, and she is also involved in women's empowerment and public education and appears frequently as an expert in women's health and integrative medicine on TV, print, online. I've seen you on Drew Barrymore. I love those segments. Those are a lot of fun. Those are fun. Those and, are fun. Yeah, and I'm just really grateful you're here. So welcome. Thanks for having me, Michelle. I'm I'm excited to be here. Well, I have to just do a quick, this is for informational and yeah. entertainment purposes. It's a yes. podcast. This is not, she's not your doctor. So please seek out your own trusted provider, but we are going to learn a lot today and I'm really excited. Um, I need to just start with the Ayurvedic piece because I know that you're traditionally trained and then I see that you have the Ayurveda piece and I found that really interesting. Just tell us how that kind of came into your practice and how it sort of informs how you work with your patients. Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, um, I think some people know what Ayurveda is, many people don't. I think more people yeah. in this country are familiar with traditional Chinese medicine or with Chinese medicine itself. Yes. And um they are very similar in that they were born probably the same time, three to 5,000 years ago, depending on who you talk to. Yes. Um, and this is the traditional uh, medical paradigm, health paradigm of the subcontinent. 
of India. Um, but it's really it, what I call the original lifestyle medicine. It's it's so much more than uh, prescriptive. You know, it's really everything from how we interact with the environment to our you know spirituality. Um, and I got interested in it. Actually, it's I mean I, I think I talk I tell the story in the book, but. I had a patient uh, as during my residency who we reestablished a relationship after that medical experience where I was her surgeon and she introduced me to Ayurveda. I was doing yoga and she was my meditation instructor and, and she was funny. She was my Pilates instructor too. It was very crazy. <laughs> and it was interesting. And she, one day she said to me, you know, I've been looking into Ayurveda and it's not for me, but I think it's for you. That's literally what she said. Interesting. <laughs> and I was like, interesting. What, what are you talking about? And I ended up getting really curious and it's yoga is a branch of Ayurveda and started look, seeking out lectures and eventually found myself at the Chopra Center in, in La Jolla. Mm -hmm. uh, Deepak Chopra at the time was still teaching this course for healthcare professionals with David wow. Simon, who unfortunately has passed away. He was the mm -hmm. medical director there and a really well-renowned um, uh, neurologist at UC San Diego. And I, I really, in retrospect, I needed to learn this from, from physicians. Deepak had already he surrendered his medical license because he didn't want to practice medicine anymore. He wasn't, he didn't get in trouble. He just was an author at that point, but yeah. they taught the entire course at four health professionals to learn about Ayurveda. And I, what it resonated very deeply with me because of it's very systemic approach, but a holistic approach. And I became um, really thirsty for more information. I really was doing it out of my own curiosity. I felt honestly, that something was missing. Like there was something in my interactions that was very not medical that was happening between mm. the patients and I, um, and it was an exchange of love, energy, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I was practicing medicine. I'm, you know, very, very well-trained, come from very well-known institutions. Right. I'm a surgeon. I practice medicine. I believe in conventional medicine, but there was something else that was going on that, that piqued my curiosity. Mm. And I never saw myself as like going out and becoming an Ayurvedic practitioner. But I wound up finding a certification, an actual certified program, an accredited program in the state of California. And I, it took me like two and a half years to do uh -huh. it. And I I don't practice Ayurveda, but it infuses my, my practice in all ways because I see people in their context, in their context of their community, their family, their, their self. Um, I see... I, my toolkit expanded because I learned botanical medicine and how to make herbal preparations and the traditions that inform all indigenous cultures, including, you know, here in Southern California. Um, and it just really, it really opened my mind and my heart in a way um, that was really beautiful and, and influences me to this day. I see us always as individuals, but positioned in a larger society and context and it's interesting because it takes us to menopause you know like what like what's going on for us as individuals and as a society right now is super interesting so i'm kind of a philosopher and an artist at heart anyways i always was and ayurveda was started as a personal pursuit that really flowered into something so much bigger you know for me and for my patients Mm, so interesting. And also, I'm sure it benefits your patients so much because you have this, like you said, a broader lens that yeah. you're looking at yeah. them. And yeah. the fact that you mentioned the love that you were feeling, that's just the humanity of who we are, right? So we can get siloed though in medicine. You can feel that when you go see a practitioner yes. or you feel this wall, but they're humans having their human, our souls having their human experience too. Right? Of course, absolutely. And I think we talk about this stuff a lot more openly than than now than we did when I was in training. 
But, um, you know, what was going on is like the wellness industry was start, just starting. This is like more than 20 years ago, really. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's about 20 years ago now that I started the pursuit. Um, mm. Or no, at 2000 is when I started learning about stuff. So now it's a whole thing. But at the time, I was like, don't tell anybody. I don't want to get in trouble. And, you know, <laughs> that integrative medicine program started cropping up at UCLA and stuff like that. And the cool thing is that very early on, people in the department that I came from at Cedars-Sinai yeah. um, recognized that. And they asked me to come teach. And I've I've taught the residents over the years. I haven't taught that specifically for a while. But um, it really, there, there became a, a much more curious openness around this, at least in our community. And um, a lot of it was driven because the by the patients in the community because mm. they were seeking it. Yeah. The other thing that happened for me is that I developed a really deep network of uh, traditional practitioners, non-conventional practitioners who I learned so much from and embraced me. Mm. And I, then I've had people that I can work with and send my patients to that I know are really good at what they do because we can't do everything in conventional medicine. Right. We can't, we don't. Right. And like you said, you say in the book, it, it dates back four or 5,000 years. Yeah. It's, this is like ancient. Yeah. Medicine. This isn't, yeah. you know, it's newer to the Western philosophy, right. but right. it's been around right. for thousands of years yes. and used yes. within cultures. Yes. Um, so I was just reading in the book and I'm just curious, a lot of the psych physiological changes that are happening to women. I mean, I'm 52, so I'm living it. I'm still, and I will, we'll get to it. I know perimenopause is a word <laughs> we're not going to use anymore. And you're going to tell I know, us why. It's so funny. Everybody's so triggered by my, my conversation. No, no, it's that, funny. But... I liked it. I liked it, but we'll, I like your frame on that. So I'll, I'll touch upon that, yeah, but yeah, look, just give us a, I mean, we don't have to get into everything, but just some of the key things that are happening that are triggering things like hot flashes and, uh, you know, uh, brain fog, like I just right, had right now. Right, you know what I mean? Like what's right. going, what's going on <laughs> yeah. in our heads? Well, I mean, in our basically bodies, what's happening, well, it's yeah. both, right? Because they are not disconnected from each other. Yes. So, um, <laughs> although they feel that way, <laughs> right? Well, sometimes we're having an out of body experience and it's true. Like, listen, I got to tell you something sitting on podcasts all morning, my brain starts spritzing out too, you know, I'm 57. <laughs> um, here's the thing. It's a physiologic event, right? So what's happening actually is that our ovaries are changing they're aging yeah and the way the conversation that our brain and our ovaries is having is shifting hormones are produced pretty much everywhere not everywhere certain their 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 receptors are everywhere yeah hormones are just messengers that the body uses to talk to itself right so the brain and the ovaries are talking via hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, but we mostly think of estrogen and progesterone. That conversation starts to shift as early as your 30s. I mean, we know that the average age of menopause is 51, 52 in this country. Mm. Um, perimenopause, and we'll talk about why I don't love that term, but the, the lead up to it can be seven to 12 years. Um, so people may be noticing changes as late as the, as early as their late 30s. It's I want to really put a pin in it, but state it. It's not a disease. It's just, you're still alive. It's a transition. Yeah. What's happening is those hormone levels are going from this very regulated state. That's very predictable for most of us yes. for a long period of time, for decades of our lives. And then we feel like that's who we are to less predictable as the ovaries age and production of estrogen and progesterone starts to change and shift and decline and the ratios shift around and stuff like that. So that's where in that lead up, 
you get less predictability. And that's where a lot of these symptoms come from. A lot of the symptoms that we feel really are from a decline of estrogen or progesterone from the changes in the ratio between the two. And then also we've got to throw testosterone in there, which I think people often don't realize actually the most abundant hormone in our body in our reproductive or younger years is testosterone. Yeah. Women don't have more than men, but we have more testosterone than estrogen. Wow. So the the relationship between the two is what's shifting and what's causing some of these changes that we are feeling that are uncomfortable. We have receptors for estrogen all over our body. So that's why you could have Mm. brain fog. You could have joint pain. You're going to have the obvious stuff. Your bleeding pattern is going to shift and change. Vaginal dryness, urinary symptoms, whatever it is. But estrogen is everywhere. and works everywhere. And so that is what's driving as a basis and a foundation, a lot of the shifts and the changes and the discomfort that people feel. Wow. Thank you for explaining it the way you did, because like a light bulb went off, especially when you're saying it's everywhere. Because when I see these posts like frozen shoulder, you talk about in your book can be related or your ear and tinnitus or ringing. It's like, oh, that's why literally every system is somewhat could potentially be affected, which is also why as you talk about every woman might be experiencing it differently. Exactly. Because then there's like environment, culture, epigenetics, genetics, I mean, you name it. And, and, you know, it's funny, I I have one, I have one of the talks I give, I have a, a slide that basically the summary is like, it's complicated, right? But on the other <laughs> hand, is it, is it, that's also like a failure of the system to sure. address us as humans. That, that's a whole other podcast, but um, it is complicated and we don't understand all of it. And we are in the midst of a renaissance and a lot of energy is kind of going into understanding some of the more important pressing issues like brain health and stuff like that. So it's an exciting time to be in the community and seeing things progress. And I think a lot of that's really being driven Michelle, by people like you and and community members, because we are, and it's really very Gen X, you know, people are demanding, people are demanding better and different. They're like, this is not working for me. (laughs) Right. And since I have spent my entire life figuring out how to do it for myself, I guess we're going to have to do this too. And make no mistake about it. You know, your listeners, this community is what's driving the changes. I love this. And I love that you use the word renaissance. Uh, that's the way I look at it. I, I love it's that. Fantastic. It's yes. fantastic. Yes, I love that you use that. And it is true. I find that it is the Gen X women that doctors like yourself who I'm interviewing and who are at the forefront and are like, we feel for the baby boomers who didn't have an opportunity to talk about this. It was so taboo. And it still is. If I like, I, you know, if I'll say this a friend, like she was complaining of migraine, she's my age and a couple of other issues. I'm like, well, it could be menopause, you know, because you've been through it. And she, like was embarrassed that I said the word out loud. And I was yeah, like, it's hey, really wild. It's, it's really like, wild to me. It's part of what happens. It doesn't mean anything about our worth in the world or no, anything. But, and that's but that the is, thing. that's what got handed down to us. And I really, really, the more I talk about this, Michelle, the more I talk about the narrative and yeah. what narrative do you choose to participate in? Then that narrative is not my narrative. And I really feel for people who are affected so deeply by it. And I do not blame them because the culture has been telling us since we were little girls that this is going to be our shelf life. And it turns out that that's not our story and we do not have to adopt it. I mean, look at what you and I are doing. 
Yeah. Like that's not the case, but it's yeah. painful and it's scary for people. And when they don't have the information, they don't even know the definitions and they don't know what, what could be on the, you know, menu option. I, you know, then they don't know what to do and they just kind of freeze up and say, let me stay small over here. I don't want to draw attention to myself. And because the only alternative I see here is that I'm aging, I'm old, um, invisible and all this bullshit. And, Completely. you know, Completely. that's just not my thing. I'm not, uh, clearly I'm not being invisible. <laughs> right. Clearly. And also it's hard to, I think, as your body is transitioning. So everyone yes. is going to have their story. I've always been naturally thin and you know, your body changes and then you're like, Oh, 50 is a new 30, 40 is a new 20. And you're like, actually, I got to be good with this body. I got at 50. I don't want to be thinking about my, even my 48 year old body was yeah. maybe better, you know? So yeah. it's like, that's yeah. not empowering me yeah. at all to yeah. love the skin yeah. I'm in. Yeah. So let's yeah. just adopt and understand what's happening and how to be strong and healthy yeah. and feel good in this body. Yeah. And I, but I think the other thing that I talk about all the time too, is like, I am not trying to sell anybody a bill of goods. Like some of this is really uncomfortable and unpleasant and some of it even sucks. So I think we have to just be honest about that. I will say that what I feel and what I see on the other side of it is so much better. The, you know, when you look at even just the hormone changes and you nailed it, there is, stuff is happening to it. It's not just like a philosophical point of view here. Yeah. It's like your body is changing. You're not sleeping. You don't feel like yourself. Your mood has changed. You don't recognize who you are. Your pants don't fit. Like this is not fun stuff. And you're also trying to like do all the things that you normally are supposed to be doing or want to do. Right. So that is not an easy thing to do. But again, if we're isolating, we're not talking about it and we don't know that there's help. And there, and really the more I do this, the community is the probably most beneficial medicine out there. Having people we can talk to, like what you did for your friend when you said that, like maybe she was embarrassed or ashamed, but you also, you, you're the stone, you know, creating that little ripple. Cause now she's like, Oh, Michelle wasn't embarrassed about that. Right. She used What's the word menopause about? out loud. It's like mm -hmm. I said, it makes a, a huge difference. Yeah, that's interesting. And then people start seeking solutions. And that's what I'm seeing. And that's where I'm seeing the renaissance. Oh, that's interesting. Know? Well, let's break down perimenopause. I'm going to just yeah. read something from your book because I think <laughs> a lot of women are going to resonate with this. And maybe then they'll be like, okay, that's me. You wrote, <laughs> Here's the bottom line on how to determine when you're in the menopausal transition. When you come in to see me and say that your period is irregular, plus you've experienced hair loss and hot flashes, and you want to kill your family, you've given me the diagnosis already. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so tell us how you think we should be thinking about it. And sounds like this is obviously some conversations you've had with lots of patients. Oh yeah. All the time, all the yeah. time. Um, I mean, here's the thing, and it sort of leads to the whole like perimenopause as diagnosis or not. I mean, it's not yeah. a disease. So here's the thing that's so, so, so important to me. Yeah. I think you you know this and the people listening to your podcast know that menopause is not a disease. It's a state of still being alive. But what happens is that it gets pathologized, right? It's a little complicated in that like there are treatments that we can use that can help us experience our bodies and our lives and our health in a different, better way. And there isn't one way for everybody to do this. But I think the confusion is with this term or the terminology. So let me just state it. First of all, menopause itself is one day of your life. It's the right. day that you've reached 12 consecutive months without a menstrual bleed over the age of 45 for no medical reason other than that, right? I mean, if you had a yeah. hysterectomy, 
or an ablation or you have another medical issue, clearly we have to make sure that's not it. But 45 and above, if you're coming in with irregularity and all these other things, it's just, it's perimenopause. If it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, right. it's a duck. Right. That's, that's a, actually a saying in, in medicine, <laughs> not a zebra. Um, now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to pay attention and make sure there's nothing else going on with you. Sure. But it's, again, it's a physiologic experience. It's not a diagnosis. Perimenopause is what gets people very confused because what in God's name is it? Right. It's anything. It seems to me like it's anything you want it to be. The, the reality is that peri is just the Latin term for the time surrounding. That's all it means. So it's not a definition. And we know that people start to notice a shift in their menstrual cycle and symptoms, like you noted, anywhere from seven to 12 years before they go through that menopausal transition or that menop- the actual menopause happens. And then, of course, the rest of your life is post-menopause. The terms are so like, well, what does it mean? I think we're using the term menopause out there really is a blanket statement. And I think what people are referring to in general is the menopausal transition, that period of time leading up to it. So I don't really care what terms people use as long as they don't take it in as like a problem that has to be fixed. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's like puberty. Like it's not, it's not a problem. Puberty is not a diagnosis or a problem. It's an right. experience of life. How can we best support people through it? Right. Okay. So if somebody's experiencing these shifts, do they have the conversation with their, their GYN only if they're uncomfortable or should they be having it anyway? Like what's, sh- what's the, what do we do? Like, I think women just don't know what to do with what's happening. Well, I think, I think that's a really good, I, I actually think the first thing to do is this is to educate yourself because the problem has been that nobody educated us about this. People yes. talk to us about our periods. We certainly raised our kids very different probably than we were even raised or for sure our mothers. Right. Yeah. Um, And the problem right now is that we're like trying to play catch up. Like I'm really trying to catch up with patients my my age and older. And then like now trying to educate these younger ones who, by the way, are coming in at 37 and 40 and want to talk about it. So I actually think it's probably a good idea to ask questions. Now, that's with a caveat, right? Because the problem for you is going to be that a lot of your doctors, this is not their wheelhouse. Also, I want to have some compassion for my colleagues. I mean, yeah. When you have a five-minute insurance-based encounter, you do not have time for this. So you all, you got to put it on yourself. And I talk about it in the book and I have like sort of a how to advocate for yourself. And your doctor might say, you know what, we're going to do your annual. So I'm going to have you come back in two months and we'll talk about that. That's like right. that's an acceptable, I think that's an acceptable answer. Yeah. Or yeah. find yourself somebody who is expert in this and has the time. But I do think if you can prep in advance, you might feel totally fine right now. Notice some things changing, not bothering you. I think it's better kind of like before you get pregnant, it would be better to have a conversation before you get pregnant. I mean, if you walk in pregnant, we'll deal with it, right? but you're going to be less stressed and have better uh, tools surrounding you and support if you start thinking about it in advance. And here's the thing. It's not, everybody doesn't have the worst experience ever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But it's less bad if you're not freaking out about it. Right. And that's the thing, like I literally in the last year, like 50, I was totally fine. Like ate everything I wanted, nothing changed. 51? Yeah. Yeah. First I thought it was COVID. And then I was like, no, this isn't COVID. Wait, this is perimenopause. Like the shift is starting. That's a big one. This is one that really, really, really bothers people. And I fully get it. And oh, it's hard. I'd say weight and sleep are two of the thorniest issues to deal with. Um, And some of it is because 
especially when you're in that transition, your hormones really are all over the place. And so it's very, look, you can, you got to get on top of your lifestyle, try something sustainable, be nice to yourself because you're kind of chasing your tail a little bit. It's not like any other time of your life where you're like, I mean, I can tell you like in my twenties, I mean, this is also a product of like some disordered stuff, right? But like I knew how much I weighed when I was like this part of my cycle versus that part of my cycle. Mm. I knew what my energy was like. I knew how I felt and I just adjusted accordingly. And also here was like, oh, I'm going to get my period. That's why I gained three pounds. Like I don't need to freak out. Like no big deal. Yeah. Oh, I'm a little more tired. I just won't work out as much. This starts to become completely unpredictable and uncontrollable as you get into your forties, typically sometimes your late thirties. And it's really disconcerting. And I have a lot of compassion for people. I will say one of my dear friends, who's actually a little bit younger than me and is a, a nutritional medicine doctor. She said to me, Suzanne, this is going to get so much better when you're done. This is a long time ago because I was really like having issues with this stuff. And she was like, just do your thing and you're going to see. And I'm going to tell you at 57, I'm still not done. I'm like day 180, you know, for my last period. I'm like, please pray for me. Oh, you have, um, you haven't. Okay. You're I'm still, still not there. I think I'm okay? going to be like you, but go ahead. Yeah. Just I mean, there's good things about that actually, yeah, but, yeah. Um, but I'm going to tell you in the last six months, I have been able to get back into a lifestyle that is working a lot better for my weight and my health. Um, and it's true. It just, it, the fluctuations are hard. And I think some of this is like self-compassion, self-love, and like try to just focus on your overall health. Totally. You know? Totally. And yeah. you mentioned something. So 57, I said, I think I'm going to be like you. Uh, is there a genetic component? Because my yeah. mom was later. Yeah. 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 And she yeah. didn't have many symptoms. So does that mean I might not? Like how yeah. much does that play it's into it? A lot. I mean, so if you can we, talk can to I... your mom, talk to your mom if she's yes. still around. Okay. Yes, exactly. Although it's interesting. So my... Uh, my mom and I had this conversation, not that like maybe five years ago, because my mom had had a hysterectomy in her forties. Cause like that whole uh-huh. cohort, whatever, that's what they did. Right. Yes. So I said to her and here I am an expert. My book was already, I think my proposal, no, it was before I had even written the book, but I said to her, I don't even know what to expect. Cause you know, you had a hysterectomy at like 46 and she was like, Oh, oh wow. but grandma E her mom, who I'm much more physically like, yes. Oh, grandma E had her period till she was 55. And I was like, and <laughs> here you are 57, you are 57. yeah so I was more physically like my grandmother frankly than my mom mm. um there's not a lot of data on this but I I've seen it like anecdotally I've seen it a lot okay so that's actually helpful so somebody could just maybe have a sense that and if it's different yeah. then just that's okay too right they're gonna but get... it brings up an important point Michelle Please. also because this has yes. not been discussed openly in many families um and there's a lot of um, there's like a loss of intergenerational conversation around this. And this is mm. another big area for me of interest. Um, I just actually had a whole interview before you with a woman who's super interesting in her. She's just turned 40. And I told her, I'm like, look, we're doing it. We are doing it. We're reestablishing that conversation between generations. I'm 17 years older than her. Right. And that is so beautiful for it all is. of us. Yes. But I think, I think we have to ask, I will tell you this, if you are our age and you're asking your mom and she's 80, she may not remember. Or I, I hear this a lot. Oh, it was so easy. And like, really? Was it though? Really? <laughs> right. Well, they, they're tougher. I they don't, don't know. Yeah. They or they don't remember. Tougher. Or they, they don't, don't remember. remember. So, you know. That's really funny. Can we'll I talk ask... with our teenagers about it. 100%. 100% on that. Yeah. And even now I make jokes or say, not joke, but well, I might be like, well, maybe that's just my perimenopause, you know, right. 
or I'll go see something and I just start planting the seed, both for my husband and my mm-hmm. daughter, mm-hmm. you know, cause men need to get educated too. They need uh, to get a thousand percent. Seed, right. Yes. Yeah. Yes, so that they, can, yes. especially if a lot of women are coming in wanting to kill their family. Yes, <laughs> right. <to> understand. <laughs> I wonder if there's any research about how many relationships split up at this, like, midlife. Oh, phase. I think there is. And I, I, I mean, that's really, I'll have to look into it now. There's definitely, it just made me think, I, was reading some, it. I think there's definitely some data just on because that. of misunderstanding of what's happening. Like mm-hmm. the woman doesn't know the doctor is right. not helping. The husband definitely doesn't know or the partner. Well, I think what happens too. I mean, that's also like, look, long-term relationships and people yes. get to a certain point where they're just like, they can't deal anymore. But I do, I, I think you're onto something. Cause I do think the other thing that happens for women in this age group is they're just over it. And especially if they're not getting support for themselves or support within that context, they they just might be like and seen, you know. That's I love and that. And that may or may and not that might be seen. Yeah, yeah I'm out. Bye bye. Or yeah. you're out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. When we get it, does it impact other health issues, heart disease, cancer, yes. brain stuff? So yes. getting it too early, yes. too late. Can you just give us a, a snapshot yes. on that? Definitely. If people have something called premature ovarian insufficiency, that is losing your periods before the age of 40. That's that's a medical issue. Okay. And that's sort of a separate thing. But it is true that if those those people do not get hormones, they really are going to be at much greater risk for everything you just mentioned, especially okay. osteoporosis, uh, heart disease and dementia. Now, the number one killer of women is heart disease. Yes. The number one killer of breast cancer survivors is heart disease. Mm. I think people get inordinately concerned about certain things that are less likely to be the issue for them. I say this as a breast cancer survivor. So I feel like I can talk about my people. Okay. Um, And I'm certainly not saying go get breast cancer because it's no fun, but I think people need to be focusing more on their brain and their heart and their bones than maybe they are. And these are things that we can be doing with lifestyle well in advance, but certainly we know that starting hormone therapy, if it's appropriate for you, and it is appropriate for more people than realize. Yes. The New York, I've been referencing the New York Times Magazine article from a couple of weeks ago to everybody. I, if your readers have not availed themselves of this opportunity, they absolutely should read it. A lot of them are going to have their minds blown. Okay. Yes. We'll just leave it at that. But we know that initiating hormone therapy in an appropriate candidate within 10 years of the menopause and ideally before then, you know, during the transition is even better before yes. the age of 60 is going to decrease their risk of overall mortality. It's going to decrease the risk of osteoporosis. It's more than likely having a positive impact on their heart disease profile, as long wow. as they aren't, don't already have serious heart issues. Yes. And the dementia thing, we don't really understand yet. We don't have the proof, but I'm pretty suspicious. And most of us are because we're, it's pretty clear that declining estrogen is the one of the driving factors specifically in Alzheimer's risk in women. We know that women have two to three times the risk of dementia and Alzheimer's as their male cohorts. Wow. The question is whether or not hormone therapy will diminish that risk and time will tell. Um, I actually was just with Lisa Moscone, who's an amazing researcher this yes. weekend. Yes. And they're doing some very exciting research uh, at Cornell in New York and um, doing brain scans and yes. um, so we can't say with authority yet, but I think it's very worthwhile for people to seriously consider hormone therapy. It really, it really can be very helpful. And it's also the number one most effective way to deal with what we call vasomotor symptoms, hot flashes, night sweats, that kind of stuff. So, you know, it, 
those things are not benign. <laughs> Absolutely. And you would start it in, well, we're not in the phase leading up Even to menopause. Yes. I, I mean, you, you should, here's how I feel about this. People should be having the conversation with their physician yeah. about their personal risk factors, their family history, their lifestyle, what's going on. The way I look at it is if you have disruptive changes, yeah. they need to be addressed. Now, how are they going to best be addressed? I don't know. But I think hormone therapy should be on the menu. Hormone yes. therapy, lifestyle, supplements, you know, botanicals and with someone who's knows botanical medicine, plant medicine. Um, there are a lot of different things we can be doing, but to me, disruption is really where it's at. Yes. You know? Yes. hundred yeah. percent. Um, do you mind sharing before we wrap up too? I mean, you did share in the book about having breast cancer, right? I know many of my guests have come on who have breast cancer and yeah. so many of the women who are listening. So what advice would you give to them who are, cause you were managing menopause at the same time you right. were diagnosed right. as well. So yeah. anything that they should be thinking about maybe differently or any, anything you want to share with them? Yeah, I do. First of all, I want people to know that vaginal estrogen for vaginal symptoms for what we call genitourinary syndrome of menopause, which yes. encompasses dryness vaginally, but also urinary symptoms, sexual function, all of it is safe for everybody. And so if your oncologist or your doctor has told you, you cannot use vaginal estrogen, that's largely untrue. It's not mm -hmm. being absorbed into the rest of your body. It is designed for local therapy and it can be a game changer and really important for your, your health and your sense of self. So hormones don't be, have to be off the menu for all of us. Um, one of the reasons I started, I mean, my combination of having the botanical medicine background in Ayurveda and then becoming a, you know, a premenopausal breast cancer survivor really drove a lot of my interest, frankly, in the field. Yes. And I, I really look, there's never going to be data that's as robust in, you know, botanical medicine as pharma. That's just not a thing. Yes. But I have a whole section on it. Um, and there are a lot of uh, herbs that can be safely used that are effective. They're not going to be as effective as hormones. And I'm going to say something that's going to blow people's mind. You know, what's starting to happen in the community yes. is that there's a lot of data that really has been misinterpreted and misunderstood. And of course, it's very hard to do studies on hormone therapy in breast cancer survivors. But it does look like the relationship between hormone therapy and breast cancer is not probably what people thought. Mm. And you should know this is third rail stuff. But there are some people who really are asking us to look at whether or not we should be offering hormone therapy in an, on an individualized basis to some breast cancer survivors. Because as I noted, the vast majority of, of us are diagnosed with early stage breast cancer, and we're going to live for a very long time. And our risks for osteoporosis and heart disease in particular are really elevated because we're not getting hormones. Yes. So the question is, should that be looked at? I am not saying to all of your breast cancer survivors, go ask for hormones because most of your doctors are going to be like, are you out of your mind? Yes. But I, I'm starting to look a little bit differently at this. And I think we're going to see changes in the next decade on those recommendations because we have to look at the long haul. Having said that, lifestyle, 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 mindset, exercise, is yes. everything. Yes. How we eat, what we yes. put into our bodies in our senses, who we surround ourselves with, how we treat ourselves. It is very important. And I, I the subtitle of my book is really what I mean. Optimize, empower. There's, I don't think 
sometimes I see in the comments, you know, on some of these things that the breast cancer survivors feel like left out and sidelined. And I'm like, I'm one of you like this. There's lots of things that you can be doing and we can be doing. And Mm. the way we look at life, I think a lot of us, when we have something like this, whether it's a cancer diagnosis or some other major medical trauma, yes, a lot of us come out of this really focused more on our present life mm-hmm. and how grateful we are. Yes. For me, it was a gift. I mean, it was a mess, but it was a gift. And I, I want, I hope that other people um, in my situation can learn and grow and feel supported by that. I love that. You write, you're an entire person who is a universe unto yourself. I feel like that's what you're speaking to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anything that I didn't ask that you want to end with or um, I mean, women with? There's so much to cover. People oh, can buy so menopause boot camp. I could so, ask you yeah. 50 more <laughs> questions, but you've got a job to do. Well, hopefully, we'll we'll talk again. I mean, I I want to tell people like, look, I want to acknowledge, like I said, like sometimes I'm out here, I'm like team menopause, you know. I mean, yes. some of it is not fun. I'm not trying to like say like toxic positivity. Go, you know, like right. that's crazy, yes. but but having communal support, talking about it out loud, if you're the loud one in your group, be loud, be proud. You're helping other people, even if you don't know it. And I think the other thing is if this resonates with people, um, you know, I'm, we're all, there's a lot of community online and I'm creating a certification program actually. So that will be available, you know, probably end of the spring, early summer, because I really see this as a movement, Michelle. I, I want my gift to the world is like, look, I created this book, which came out of actual boot camps. There's a structure for how people can run their own boot camps and have an impact in their own community because mm-hmm. they understand their community in a way that I never could. But I understand how to lead a group and how to teach and what the information is. And so I'm really excited about that. That's something that will be available for people to participate in and you know, have the template to go out and, and help other people and help themselves. So I'm excited to see where all this goes. The conversation has been really, really fantastic and exciting. Absolutely. I'm hopeful. I'm a hopeful person, but I am hopeful with people like you out, you know, doctors like you out there really getting, getting loud and educating and allowing women going through this, who are going to spend a third of our lives this way to get the information that they need and feel seen and heard and also get the help that they need. So absolutely. Thank you so much for that. So where should I direct people? Where do you like to hang out? Instagram? Yeah, I think Instagram is like where I'm most active. And I think if they find me on, if they find my website, they'll find all of my social. If they find me on Instagram, they'll find all my social, they'll find my website, but I'm most active at uh, the menopause bootcamp um, and at ask Dr. Suzanne, um, I, it's not that hard to find me. And, um, I, I love to, to talk to people and I'm excited to hear what people are going through and and support them through it. I love it. And all of the show notes for today will be over at thegoodlifecoach.com. Everyone listening, share this with a friend in midlife, have the conversation, spread it broadly to everyone, you know, let's get educated and support one another. Gen Xers are going to and I've got I've got the baby boomers on my yeah we love all of you we love everyone <laughs> so just get the information out and let's help support one another and thank you so much for your time today it's been such a such a pleasure Julie. oh thank you Michelle for your time thank you thanks so much for tuning in today I hope you gained some new information or inspiration 
for your life. That is that the essence of this show is to really wake up to what's possible for you to reclaim your beautiful voice and to really learn to love and prioritize yourself. So if you gained any value from any of the conversations you've tuned into, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. You can do that right now on your phone. And please do consider leaving a rating and review if you have yet to do so on Apple Podcasts. It's actually how more women can find the show. And I really want to grow a community of women who are loving themselves and living full on. So thank you as always for tuning in. And I look forward to reconnecting with you next Wednesday. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.